Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. I'm Dr. Chris Tucker from the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center and founder of the podcast. I'd like to introduce Dr. Christopher Jones from the University of California at Los Angeles. Dr. Jones serves as an assistant professor in the Department of Orthopedic Surgery. He's the team physician for the UCLA Bruins and the head team physician and director of orthopedic surgery for the Los Angeles Lakers. Dr. Jones was the lead author on a paper titled Fresh Osteochondral Allograft Transplantation for Uncontained Elongated Osteochondritis Dissecans Lesions of the Medial Femoral Condyle, which was published in the February 2019 issue of Arthroscopy Techniques, the online open access companion to the Arthroscopy Journal. His co-authors include Brian Cash, Armin Arshi, and senior author Riley Williams. Welcome, Chris, and thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for the invitation, Chris. Uh, I'm a faithful subscriber to the Arthroscopy Journal podcast and regularly listen to it during my commute in LA traffic. So it's an honor to contribute to the educational mission of the journal. That's great to hear, Chris. Uh, To be honest, I'm really excited for our podcast because I really enjoy discussing cartilage surgery. But before we get into the technical aspects of your article, can you help lay a foundation for our discussion by describing what it is you enjoy about caring for patients with cartilage injuries and how it is you became interested in this field in particular? Sure. I, I've always looked at cartilage repair and restoration procedures as an interesting confluence of innovation between surgical techniques and basic science. I'm fortunate to work at a large academic center where I'm able to collaborate with a lot, a lot of basic science researchers to determine how we can take practical problems related to cartilage surgery and really solve them in a way that benefits both surgeons and patients. Um, from a professional standpoint, uh, obviously this daily exchange of ideas is really exciting. But then from a clinical standpoint, while some of the patients we see have relatively straightforward problems, a lot of them come to us with persistent complaints after already having had two or three prior procedures. So to help them sort through their issue and mutually decide the best treatment, whether that's an osteochondral allograft with a meniscus transplant or a Macy procedure with a tibial tubercle osteotomy, it's really quite rewarding to get these patients back to doing things they were previously unable to do after such a long road. Yeah, I think it's fantastic when you find a passion and you're able to pursue it like you are. Uh, To discuss your article in particular, it lists some of the common indications for performing this particular procedure. I was hoping you could detail some of these for our listeners and discuss your general approach to the management of patients with cartilage injuries. Everyone who treats these cartilage injury patients is familiar with the flow chart or the algorithm that gets shown in many cartilage talks. But can you personalize this a little for us and detail how you make it more about the patient and not necessarily the algorithm? Sure. Um, I think that algorithm has actually changed quite a bit since both of us were in training. Um, And I think it continues to evolve as technology provides newer and better surgical options for varying clinical scenarios. Um, But I think your question is a really important one. Uh, A lot of these patients are really complex and deserve a more individualized approach to their problems. In my approach, I always like to consider the factors involved from the perspective of lesion characteristics, such as the overall size, depth, location, uh, morphology, and then the status of the knee, such as mechanical alignment, ligament stability, and the status of the meniscus. Um, Finally, and probably most importantly, you have to consider the perspective of the patient, such as age, activity level, occupation, and even athletic participation status. Personally, uh, I try to use what we currently know about the advantages and limitations of certain procedures and then incorporate that information that we have from high-quality literature into what would practically work best for the patient, for example. So 
for patients that can, simply can't afford to be non-weight bearing for a long period of time, I often recommend an OC allograft, whether the lesion is purely chondral or even osteochondral, because I can safely allow those patients to bear full weight at two to four weeks. Um, I'm fairly aggressive with my rehab protocol. As you know, OC allografts are quite stable at time zero, and I've found the accelerated weight bearing protocol really allows a quad to recover much faster, allowing them to get back to normal ADLs faster. So for a mother of two toddlers or a 40-year-old man looking to get back to work as a mailman, you know, that, that difference in, in recovery is a big deal. Yeah, I think you highlight, uh, you know, one of the most important parts of not just learning the technical aspects of doing the surgery, but doing the correct surgery at the correct time on the correct person and tailoring your approach and uh, individualizing it for each person. So I really, you know, I applaud your approach to that. I think that's what we all strive to achieve in our own practices this article in particular provides a detailed explanation of your technique for performing the Arthrex BioUni fresh oceolograph transplant for these large uncontained femoral condyle lesions. Can you share with our listeners a few of your top tips or pearls per se, uh, maybe even some pitfalls to avoid when doing this procedure uh, or even doing standard oceolograph transplants in general? Of course. Uh, so with regards to oceolograph transplantation in general, I think one of the most important pearls or tips that's really positively impacted my practice is how I've changed my approach to uh, allograft matching. Um, in the past, I used to exclusively use orthotopic grafts, meaning using like a, a medial hem hemicondyle graft to treat a medial femoral condyle lesion. But now I'll use lateral hemicondyles, which are much easier and faster to obtain from graft companies to treat medial lesions. I've applied this approach throughout the knee and uh, have had good results. Uh, while there's a slight learning curve associated with this to get comfortable with the technique, uh, we've published several clinical and MRI-based papers to suggest that the resultant level of incongruity due to anatomic differences that you see in the, uh, the differences in the radius of curvature between the medial and lateral side isn't significant, and um, the midterm clinical outcomes are similar between using uh, orthotopic or even non-orthotopic grafts. So, as you know, in the past, typically patients would have to be notified of a graft match and then told they would need to accept the graft and have surgery within one to two weeks, but uh, this was in inconvenient for everyone involved. Um, ultimately, this approach has really reduced my surgical wait times and even given me the opportunity to actually schedule these patients electively on a desired surgical date. So it's really been a game changer for me. And we're continuing to follow these patients to evaluate their long-term outcomes and see if there are any differences in outcomes. But so far, it's actually worked out well for us. Along those lines of following these patients in uh, clinical trials or even just in clinical practice, discussing the topic of uh, oceolographs in general, there is other evidence in the literature that suggests the use of multiple oceolograph plugs in the snowman or the MasterCard technique to fill these large irregular uh, osteochondral defects can have inferior outcomes to single plug transfers. Do you have any plans to investigate the clinical outcomes of this specific bio-uni technique in particular? Absolutely. Um, I'm following my own patients who have undergone bio-unis um, with validated outcome tools. And then we're looking to publish cl clinical results comparing these patients to match cohorts consisting of those who have been treated with either a single OCA plug or a stacked uh, snowman OCA plug. Um, we'll actually be presenting some results uh, that we've looked at using um, patients from myself, Riley Williams, and uh, be presenting that data at upcoming uh, ICRS World Congress. So uh, stay tuned for that data. Yeah, it's fantastic. I look forward to seeing that. 
let's talk about biologics. Your article indicates the use of bone marrow aspirate concentrate or BMAC to soak the graft after the marrow elements have been washed out by lavage, indicating that this may aid in the biologic healing and subsequent graft incorporation. Let's talk about these biologics and their use with respect to cartilage injuries of the knee. First, what are your thoughts on BMAC uh, and other and any other biologics with respect to these cartilage injuries, both in or out of the OR? Well, in general, I think one of the most pressing issues in sports medicine and maybe even orthopedic surgery is to really define the appropriate use of biologics to aid or augment healing with what we do. Um, We really do need more basic science studies and sound data to support their use before we apply these therapies to the masses. Um, So, but personally, I initially incorporated the use of BMAC into my practice to help augment allograft healing uh, based upon the work by Standard & Cook. Uh, they show to help facilitate graft incorporation with less graft sclerosis and uh, faster incorporation. But um, there's recently been another study by Dean Wang and Riley Williams where they demonstrated no evidence of improved osseous integration with the use of BMAC. So despite these recent findings, I still use it based upon the imaging results that I use in my own patients and have seen over the course of the last year. Um, I've seen less cystic change in graft sclerosis myself, but I think we really do need a prospective trial to help provide better guidance on the issue as it does represent an increased cost to the system. Along these lines, what's your experience with other techniques or products, uh, biologics or other modalities in the OC allograft transplant procedure? Have you used anything yourself other than BMAC either during the procedure or post-operative uh, management protocols, uh, even intraarticular injections or other things at follow-up appointments to try and maximize healing in these patients? Well, I only use BMAC intraoperatively. Um, I don't currently use any other routine postoperative injection regimens uh, that would include other biologics such as PRP or maybe even uh, uh, something like hyaluronic acid. Um, But what I have anecdotally um, found is that my patients who use blood flow restriction therapy tend to do a little bit better um, at the onset, and that is maintained uh, throughout their course of uh, therapy. So um, it seems to be that their quad strength is uh, regained faster, and these patients have had less issues with postoperative swelling and fusion. So um, I've really tried to direct my cartilage repair patients to local therapists that use BFR because I've found these patients tend to do a little bit better um, and get off the ground faster. So um, that's been a nice adjunct to my practice so far. That's interesting. We had uh, Dr. LaProd on the podcast several months ago discussing the blood flow restriction therapies and uh, giving the background on that. So uh, it's interesting to see how that ties into some other aspects of our practices. Along the lines, uh, again, of these uh, biologics, other studies have reported excellent graft survivorship up to 93% at 10 years for fresh osteolographs and the treatment of osteochondritis, dissecans lesions. Obviously, we all want to continue to improve upon our own results, but everything comes with a price. Where do you think the cost-benefit ratio falls with respect to BMAC or other biologics for this procedure and these results? Um, I think OC allografts for the treatment of OCD lesions demonstrate some of the better outcomes that we have with this procedure, but um, the outcomes are a little bit different with regards to degenerative and traumatic lesions. So ultimately, if BMAC does somehow lend itself to providing better healing and subsequent outcomes, then I think we would have to justify the increase, increased cost in some of these uh, other patient cohorts. But ultimately, like I said, we need prospective studies to really answer this for us. Yeah, I agree. 
All right, this was published in a technique uh, journal. Uh, it's a technique article. Let's do a few quick response technique questions. First, uh, you mentioned the use of supplemental headless screw fixation for this graph due to concerns for graph fixation. What's your intraoperative decision-making with regards to the use of compression screws or just relying on the press fit fixation of this graft? I think that's a great question. And truthfully, I wish I could give you a, a better answer with scientific data, but there's not much out there to really help guide us regarding the utilization of screw fixation intraoperatively. Um, personally, what I do is I use a dental pick on the back side of the exposed graft where it's uncontained along the lateral intercondylar, uh, intercondylar wall. And then I apply a pretty significant amount of force to see if the graft will tip or back out at all. And then if it doesn't, then I don't add screw fixation. But if there are any signs of instability, I, I really don't hesitate to add screws. Interesting. So you really rely more on kind of testing it versus having some sort of percentage of coverage or percentage of uncontained. Um, it truly is just customized to each person intra-op. Yeah, correct. And I, I, I think that's how every surgeon should do it. You know, there are different levels of tolerance that are built into uh, each set of instrumentation. So, for example, um, one instrument tray from one company may provide a different fit uh, compared to another uh, tray from another instrument company. And um, uh, so, you know, some grass fit tighter than others. So I, I would really um, caution people to to, you know, relying on a percentage of uncoverage and say, you know, look, really test the graft, um, use a dental pick, freer elevator, something to just kind of apply a force to the backside and see what happens. If it moves at all, add screws. Um, maybe even take it through a range of motion and see if it uh, if it tips or, or uh, somehow uh, changes in position because I think um, ultimately uh, adding a screw really isn't a big deal at all. Absolutely. Love it, Chris. Uh, that's a very pragmatic approach, which I think we all uh, can adapt. So along these lines of the instrumentation you mentioned, it is uh, company specific. So in this particular article, you described the Arthrex BioUni. And as we know, that can provide up to 10 millimeters of allograft thickness at the deepest portion. But what to do when the defect's bigger or more irregular than this? We all know these OCD lesions can often lead to some pretty large bone defects do you have any experience with autograft, bone grafting behind or beneath the BioUni or other approaches to this challenge? Yeah, I think the overall shape and depth of the BioUni really provides a technically easy way to address lesions that have significant bone involvement. Um, what you're referring to is if in certain areas beyond the actual shape of the graft itself, um, if there are cysts or something like that, uh, how do I address it? I mean, I think in that particular situation, if the defect um, in certain areas was deeper, I would really curatage that area and then take advantage of the fresh allograft that I have left um, from my hemicondyle and pack that area with bone graft. Um, I wouldn't hesitate to use any remaining BMAC and apply that to the graft as well. Sure. Yeah, that sounds like a, a great approach. Uh, I know I've used things like that in the past to fill these large cysts, which, yeah, that's what I was kind of referring to is when that bone erodes below the surface beyond just the kind of cross-sectional surface area, but rather the three-dimensional depth. So um, I, I think that's a great approach. Thanks. All right. One more. Uh, can you comment briefly on the potential complications from this procedure and approaches to minimizing any of these potential risks? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the biggest potential for technical complications um, with the BioUni comes from altered preparation of the recipient condyle. So 
Uh, in this particular paper, we're referencing patients with OCD lesions uh, that have significant bone missing from the intercondylar notch, but you could extrapolate this to uh, a traumatic lesion too, someone with a, a prior distal femoral fracture or, or something where the, the anatomy is, has been significantly altered. Um, there's a tendency to allow the template to veer from the perpendicular angle to the condyle. And if the guide pins that are used to accurately direct reaming are off in any way, it'll be very difficult to see the graft at the time of implantation. So um, we highlight the best way to minimize this risk in the papers and make sure that when the pins are inserted, the template has to be held flush to the condyle to ensure that it isn't falling into the area of uncontainment. And I would say, you know, you as the surgeon or if you have an assistant, just make sure that on that opposite side of the defect where you're missing bone, just make sure that it isn't tipping as you're um, inserting those guide pins to make sure that uh, you're staying perpendicular to the condyle. Yeah, there's some absolutely fantastic tips. Uh, all right, Chris, we're close to finishing here. Uh, we got a few more minutes. Can you maybe wrap this up for our listeners, giving us a few one or two take-home points that uh, they can incorporate into their own clinical practices? Sure. Uh, the first take-home point would be to consider using the BioUni for those large oval-shaped lesions that require more than one, one OC allograft because I think there's compelling new evidence to suggest a higher rate of failure when we stack these plugs. Um, anecdotally, I believe this is probably due to the fact that the two-graft construct is not as inherently stable as a single plug. So uh, the BioUni really provides you to address more surface area along the condyle as a single plug, which may be a, a little bit more stable than, than the two-plug uh, technique. Uh, secondly, I'd probably consider using non-orthotopic grafts in your practice. Uh, like I said, while there's a very brief initial learning curve, I found this practice to be pretty straightforward and reliable, and a reliable way to treat patients that are indicated for OC allografts. Um, it's really allowed me to treat patients on a more convenient elective timetable and resulted in happier people. All right. Thanks again, Chris, uh, for sharing your thoughts with us today. Fantastic discussion. Appreciate your time. For our listeners, Dr. Jones's article titled Fresh Osteochondral Allograft Transplantation for Uncontained Elongated Osteochondritis Dissecans Lesions of the Medial Femoral Condyle can be found in the February 2019 issue of Arthroscopy Techniques, the open access online companion to the Journal of Arthroscopy, which is available free to anyone online at www.arthroscopytechniques.org. This concludes this edition of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time.